Breaking news, before the Mavs' loss on Thursday, in light of Draymond Green's recent passing of Michael Jordan on the all-time playoff threes list, MJ signed with the Mavs with the intention of hitting more threes than Draymond. Unfortunately, he was ineligible to play after he lost his uniform in a bet. We spoke to Luca, who said, It's a shame, really. We could have really used him Thursday. You know, it's too bad he challenged me to Slovenian checkers. Should have known better. Folks, this is Hoop Show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode four of Hoop Show. So there's been a little bit of basketball since uh, the last episode where I said I kind of promoted it on my Twitter with Heat Bad, Warriors Good, which has been kind of proven wrong. The Warriors part was right. I was actually, I mean, who could have seen that one coming, that the Warriors would win that game? Some people didn't, but um, the Heat looked better. They had some moments. The Heat have had good games since then, and a bad one, but the, they had the biggest one last night, which we'll talk about first. But before we get into the uh, Jimothy G. Buckets game <laughs> from Game 6, we'll talk about first their kind of Game 5 uh, collapse of just looking terrible. So, in that game... Um, no one played good. This was like the the worst game for the Heat. This is a quintessential game, right? Maybe not quintessential is maybe not the right word, but like the it is the most important game for them in the series up until, of course, Game Seven, right? That's obviously that's a winner go home. I, uh, some people aren't gonna believe this. Game Seven's a must win, <laughs> but um, Game Five is like when you're tied two two, you have a chance to go up three two and make a big, that's 3-2, I mean, that's as close as you're going to get without actually being there, you know, to having like a good dominant lead with, that's in a competitive series. And the heat in that moment crumbled. There was, um, everyone, look, every one of their like reliable players that they consistently look towards looked bad, right? Jimmy Butler didn't have a good game. Um, Kyle Lowry was terrible. Excuse me. Um, Max Struess had been, for the last two games, historically bad. Like 0 for 14 in games. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, 0 for 14 in, the, in games uh, 4 and 5, you know, combined. And that's just terrible. You can't have a guy like that. They're sitting Duncan Robinson because Struess was kind of, it's kind of, solidified himself as more of the starting guard of a guy that can kind of do what Duncan Robinson does in terms of making threes. But then on top of that, he plays a little bit more defense. He's a little bit bigger, a little bit more stockier, you know. And you didn't get anything from him. Your defense for the Heat was 1,000. They were, they had nothing going for him offensively. And to be fair, neither did the Celtics. The Celtics were, I mean, that was probably more a result of the, the Heat's defense. Um, but... The, the Heat were just, they were doing great on defense. They were trying their hardest, getting stops every once in a while in the first half. In the first half. The first the second half, 
the um, the little the lead started kind of um, growing a little bit. It wasn't. I think in the first half, people were like, "Wow, finally a competitive game after all these blowouts that have been happening." And in the first half, we're like, "Oh, maybe, maybe we'll get something good here." And it turned out no. The Celtics gone some some I would say big runs, but they're just it was just like little runs that kind of turned into big runs because in a normal game like a 7-0 run it's big but it's you know it's not like uh, insurmountable in a game that was so low scoring the 7-0 run everyone was that's like oh my god they just 20-0 run they're this is the the greatest offensive sequence we've seen in years in this in this game but um so they go on a little some little runs get some separation ends up being kind of a not a close game at all and it kind of it looks bad for the heat because when the Celtics stole that game at, in their in Miami's arena and so that means the heat had to come back in game 6 went on the road went on the road and they did it they they did it they did that thing and it was mostly on the back of what was one of the all-time best playoff performances that I've ever seen, that I think so, I think I've ever seen, and that was Jimmy Butler. Let me pull up his official line. I know he had 47 points at least, and he hit, I mean, when I say clutch shots, I mean insane shots. Two seconds left on the shot clock, turnaround jumper from the like far wing, deep in the wing, it's a long two, and he hits it with like 40 seconds left. So yeah, the official Jimmy Butler line was 47 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists, 4 steals, 1 block, 4 threes, 11-11 from the free throw line. That is an all-time playoff game because it was every single bucket was needed. Because this was a close game. This was the most competitive game we've had in the conference finals from either um, conference this whole playoffs. This was down to the wire. It looked free. It was the whole fourth quarter was a dogfight. The whole fourth quarter was just punches being thrown, heavyweights hitting each other, and it was insane. It was a great game. It's my favorite game to watch so far, and I only got to watch the second half because I was out watching some track, which track is fun too. That's another sport I enjoy. <laughs> I just don't have a podcast about track, but um. In, in the game six, where Jimmy Butler went off, he finally got some help from some guys that did not contribute. The same guys that in game five looked terrible and were, their lack of performance um, kind of sealed their loss in game five, came back in game six and looked incredible. Kyle Lowry. This guy has been injured most of the playoffs, and I personally believe that he was not going to be good I thought he was just, I thought he was hurt, and I probably, I, I'll say it, I thought the Celtics were probably going to win this game, because they had everything going for him. <clears throat> um, but Kyle Lowry had a great game coming back, 18 points, 10 assists, 4 threes, he did, he was doing everything, well maybe not, not everything, but he was doing what he needed to do. He played 37 minutes, he had his best game of the postseason, his most important game of the postseason. And 
in contrast or contrasting that to his game five performance was incredible and this is in a huge reason why they won. And he made some insanely clutch plays down the stretch of the game. Um as well as PJ Tucker, who his stat line doesn't stick out, but he had a um he had a big rebound um pretty late that sealed that was helping seal the deal. Um that was huge for them. Um and then as well as in Struce, none of the other guy that was playing kind of poor, kind of poor. He was playing astronomically, historically bad in game five. Comes out here, hits three threes, five of 12 from the field. You know, that's not a great line, but when he had zero points, when he was having his like Tony Snell game of zero, 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 13 points and three threes with some of them, at least one three coming in the fourth quarter. That's huge. You get a big lift from that. P.J. Tucker had 11 points, except his plays were more, you could, it was more the clutch play from P.J. that didn't show up on the stat sheet. Excuse me. Then someone like Kyle Lowry, whose impact can be seen both on the stat sheet and in, you know, in just the watching the game, the game film. Duncan Robinson was demoted Five minutes, uh, didn't do anything. He had his Duncan Robinson game, but he only played five, or not Duncan Robinson, his Tony Snow game. But um, he only played five minutes, so it's not really fair. It's not a fair thing. But Victor Oladipo, he played 22 minutes, and I didn't, I didn't, I was only able to watch the second half. So he didn't, looks like he didn't have a great offensive game. Uh, nine points, one of four from three to a six from the field. But I remember I watching the second half, his uh defense was was pretty good. He was a definite factor there. Um for the Celtics. Um what could they have done different? They needed more from Al Horford, um, offensively. One of eight, one of six from three. Um only three points. His only points came from that one three. I think that was pretty late. It was a pretty clutch play to make to start scoring, but a guy that you're have has been kind of big for you in the playoffs, um, and you know they got they 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 did do a lot correct, but something you can criticize I guess is Jason Tatum. He played a heck of a game. Don't get me wrong, thirty points, nine rebounds, four assists on forty five minutes played. He only sat down for less than three minutes but he only took 12 shots and he was 9 of 12 from the field if you're having that good a game it may, it may be time to start I don't say I don't want to say chucking but you're having a pretty efficient offensive game it's you know this is game six you need to start putting your asserting some more will I would say because it looked like in the second half, he was not allowed to do that as much. Maybe the, that was an adjustment that the Heat made in that game was that um, we're going to make him play off ball and he's only going to get, you know, some spare layups here once in a while. But the real story of the offensive game was that this became quickly in the fourth quarter the Derek White versus Jimmy Butler show, which was kind of funny. To watch live, be like, what Derek White has? He hasn't looked this good since like 
2018 or 2017 with the Spurs when they made that crazy like uh, semi-finals run when they almost uh, beat the Nuggets in seven or something like that. That may I can't remember if that was the first round or the second round or something like that, but <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but Derek White had himself a game. He's been a really good player. He has a lot of stuff going for him. He's a taller kind of wing guard-ish type thing. And the biggest criticism with him is that he can't shoot. This whole season, that's been like uh, opposing defense's plans is like, okay, well, we're going to let, uh, if we're going to sag off of anybody, Derek White can beat us. Derek White's going to have to hit a lot of threes, and he hasn't been able to. And he's not a bad three-point shooter in the past, or at least not like a league average shooter, but he's been a pretty, you know, he, he had some, he was an okay shooter. Like, volume-wise, he didn't take that many, but he had an okay percentage. And this game, he had four threes on seven attempts, seven of 14 from the field, 22 points. I mean, 30, he played 33 minutes. They basically said, no more Grant Williams. We're running, we're riding with um, Derek White as kind of the the backup man. And he was, he was the sixth man. He was playing sixth man of the year role for them tonight. And the, the, the big criticism, I would say, of the Celtics is that you had two guys make the threes, right? Or who was making a lot of the threes they took. Jason Tatum, 4-7 from three. Derek White, 4-7 from three. Al Horford, though, 1 of 6. Jalen Brown, 1 of 3. Marcus Smart was 1 of 9. Gotta stop. If they had, how does Marcus Smart in a game 6, a pivotal game 6, take the most shots? That's, yeah, you gotta, or you gotta get that back to um, Jason Tatum a little bit because he had 30 points and was shooting a much better percentage, yet he took 3 less shots. It, that can't happen. Marcus Smart, he's got to be a good... He's Normally, he's been pretty good as a point guard. I don't know what happened exactly in this game to make him say, I'm shooting it 15 times, and I'm just chucking these threes up because that was not good. Peyton Pritchard got a lot less run. Um, I don't know if that was in the first half. I don't remember seeing him in the second half. He may have got abused. Jimmy Butler may have got him on one switch, and the Celtics are like, nope, can't do that this game. <sighs> Excuse me. So yeah, so in the Celtics Heat series, it is now going to the best, the best words in basketball, Game 7. So that will be Sunday, I believe, and big news here for the Hoop Show pod, uh, the, the Hoop Show heads, the real fans out there, um, all like two of you who I know personally, um... <laughs> There will be, I think I'm going to do a um, a special for this Game 7 where we will do a late night edition, at after hours if you will, of the post Game 7 where we'll do some analysis, I guess, of whoever wins that game, analysis of that game, maybe some quarter by quarter analysis, a little bit more in depth on the actual things that happened in this game on a kind of more micro level, and then projecting them against the Warriors, who I think will win that series, who's what's going to go on. So look out for that on Sunday uh, evening, pretty late, I guess, because it'll be after, I'll record that after the game. So 
Game 7 special for Hoop Show coming up. But <clears throat> congrats to the Heat for winning that game. I hope, personally, that Jimmy Butler has another big game. I don't know. I don't care if it's, like, if who wins that game. I just want it to be a competitive game. Wait, let's let's all hope and pray. Let's do, like, a little prayer circle for this because we've had only two Game 7s before this in the playoffs up to this point. And they were both um, blowouts. They were entertaining. But I, th- I thought the, um, the Mavs blowout was entertaining despite it being a blowout. But the Celtics have played... Uh, I think I saw a um, a stat from one of their beat writers where he was like, this upcoming Game 7 will be the Celtics' 100th game in the season. So they've played two Game 7s. This will be their second Game 7 of this playoffs. And I think they've had a pretty extensive series, all playoffs, every single playoff or um, series they've played has been kind of prolonged. So Game 7, that'll be happening. We'll be doing a post-show for that. A special edition, and um, that's exciting. So let's talk a little bit more about um, the Warriors-Mavs game, which ended up being the Mavericks' last game, unfortunately, for Luka. So I didn't, I wasn't able to watch the first half, um, but in that half it looked like um, Luka was having a rough offensive game, but he was getting some, some play from some of the other guys. Um but in the first half, it was a big lead for the Warriors up to almost, I want to say, 19 or 20 at some point. <clears throat> um, in the second half, though, uh, the Clay game was in full effect, which he was also in effect in the first half. But there were some big shots in this one that he was having some some Game Six flash Game Six Clay flashbacks to that OKC series all these years ago now. Um, but Luca, after struggling in that that first half, looked like in the third quarter uh, he was he had a 15-0 run by himself. I'm pretty sure he was he was going to work, picking up some of the slack, making it a closer game, making it you know making the Warriors have to work for it a little bit still, and not just throwing in the towel. But the story of this one, I think, is Clay first and foremost, and then uh, Looney had himself another game. He wasn't like the 20-10 and 10 game, but it was maybe a more impactful defensive game than anything else. He had 18 rebounds this game, which that is absolutely huge considering he was, you know, that's just, it's just a great game for a guy that's um, six, like, I want to say like 6'9", six, 6'10", six, who's been, <clears throat> had to switch over to the center position over the years, and now he's turned himself into a, a very, very solid role player. 18 rebounds in a closeout game. That's good stuff. Looney's played himself serious. He was not, unfortunately, to many people's dismay, he was not the conference finals MVP, which should never be used in legacy talks because that's wild. Because one of these days it is going to be some crazy thing like Kevon Looney winning one or something. <laughs> something bananas like that. Maybe it won't just because besides the 2015 uh, finals MVP, they never vote for role players for, like, the guy. They always, even if the role player had himself objectively a better series, a more impactful series, they will always give it to the star, unless it's Andre Iguodala over Steph for some reason. Um, but, anyway. Uh, but in this game also, in the moments when, near the end of the game, in the fourth quarter, late in the fourth, when the Mavs are looking like they have a chance, 
it was like a 2016 flashback before the uh, 3-1 incident in the finals for the Warriors. Um, where there's Steph and Clay Daggers, and it's just a great game for them. Great shot making to end the game to really, you know, put the Mavericks to bed for officially, for good, officially in this series. Um, I know some people believe the Mavs could come back from 3-0, which would be the most insane thing ever. I mean, statistically, it's never happened. So if they if they were the team to do it, that'd be pretty wild. But I came into this saying the Mavericks um, could push it to a game 6 or 7, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was 5. So I think... Um, I think I was mostly head on or, you know, straight on with that. Um, I did believe that Mavericks would probably win one more. I thought they could have probably won this game, maybe, but um, they would. I mean, they would have had to if they were down 3-0, but, um, yeah. So, projecting a little bit, the Mavericks, they still have a bright future ahead of them. There are a couple things they most definitely need to do in the uh, upcoming offseason for them to maximize their time with Luka and really uh, put a good, uh, the best team around him that they can. Because his money, his contract, I think officially, like his big, 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 big money that he signed for is going to start in effect next season. So they have, they have a few more years of him. They have, I don't know how long he signed to, but they need to maximize their time with that. <clears throat> Excuse me. They have lots of young guys, but I think one of the most important things is getting a stronger secondary score next to Luka, especially in light of all the rumors that uh, Jalen Brunson, uh, he will be, he is going to test the waters in free agency, I think. And there are a lot of teams that want him. Um, and he was not a bad secondary scorer, a scorer, but if they can get a solidified, like, 25 points per game guy or someone that's a more dynamic score maybe someone that can handle them like Jalen Brunson was good Jalen Brunson was really really good and uh, let's not you know downplay him too much but having like an all-star like I don't know how they would do it I don't think they will ever be able to pull something off like this because he's super weird about it but Bradley Beal Bradley Beal would be great it'd be a, a superstar a superstar next to Luca, but I think his I don't think his contract situation will work probably. And he's always been like weirdly committed to the Washington Wizards even though they've sucked ever since John Wall got hurt and he's just always re-signed with them and I don't get it, but that's what he that's his MO. But if they can find a a strong secondary scorer, I don't know who's on the market. I don't know everyone that's hitting a free agency if they have even have a chance of getting some of these guys, but that would be um that would be something that they need to look into. That um, strong secondary score, get more ball pressure off of him, off of Luca, um, in the starting lineup, and someone that can, um, you know, make it where they can't just put all the defensive pressure on Luca or something like that. Um, and then this is kind of more of a underrated move that's doesn't have to happen. I would say, like if they can. If they can get like a you know a guy that's kind of like this, then that's okay. But they need to find a good big man that can play old school basketball, like someone that's just someone like a Kevon Looney. That'd be ideal, right? Like 
Of course, he's never, if I'm on the Warriors for a budget deal, I'm just winning rings and going to the playoffs, and sure, yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay with that. <laughs> but um, um, they need someone that can battle with a guy like Looney, because they had Kleba, who's really good um, as a, or maybe not really good is the word, but he's pretty effective in his role of three-point shooting big man who can switch out sometimes and play good defense and generally be a good fit offensively. Um, and I think the, the old school big man that they kind of have right now, he's just not good at doing this, is Dwight Powell. And I'm okay with losing Dwight Powell because he started most of the games for them. I'm pretty sure he was like a consistent starter for the Mavericks. But I'm okay with losing him and getting someone, I don't know, I don't, I can't even think of a name right now. I know the name that's been floated around is Rudy Gobert from the Jazz. Um, that might suck for the Mavericks. Like, he'd immediately make all of their defense really good because the Mavericks have a better perimeter defense than the Jazz, which is why the Jazz defense never works is because they all get blown by and Rudy can only make up so much of their, <clears throat> their lack of whatever, you know, their lack of defense. And the Mavericks have those those guys that can play that role better and then kind of funnel it towards Rudy a little bit more effectively. Um, but I don't know how that would work. Ugh. Rudy Gobert is so polarizing, you know. There's some guys that he could... I think if there's a place he could work, it could be the Dallas Mavericks. I mean, Luka's better than Donovan Mitchell. Um, the, the Mavericks have those role players that are... Um, Maybe not as consistent offensively as someone like a, a Bojan Bogdanovich, or even in the past Joe Engel, Joe Ingles. But um, they have some guys that can play defense and they can overall kind of fit a little bit better. So maybe it may work, but then that means you have to play Maxi Kleba less, or maybe you could play him at the power forward and with Rudy Gobert and kind of make that your thing where you have a big lineup with one guy that can some a big guy that can shoot too. They can also switch around. That might work. That might work. Rudy Gobert might be the guy to get, even with it with his um, historic, <laughs> historically noted struggles. But I think that would be a. Uh, I think Rudy might be okay. I would be okay with him getting that. I don't know what they'd give up to get him. I don't know if he's a free agent or if he they'd have to trade for him. Which you don't want to include. You know, maybe they go for, maybe the Jazz want Jalen Brunson and they do a sign-and-trade or something like that. And you give up a guy that was likely to leave in free agency anyway. But I would not give up Dorian Finney-Smith, obviously. Reggie Bullock, he was important, and he, he he's a really good shooter and a pretty good defender, too. But if you can get someone in return with Rudy, like some throwaway guy like a Royce O'Neal, then I think that really does does the job, but I don't know if the Ma or the Jazz would want that. If they just want, I mean, a deal centered around Jalen Brunson for Rudy Gobert with some kind of th fringe guys in thrown in there, that could work. I, I I think doing something like that might be kind of ideal for the Mavericks, even though Rudy Gobert is he's not you know he's not traditional or no he is tr he's the most traditional big man probably, but. In the modern NBA, he does not have as a de clearly defined role as someone like, you know, someone like a Maxi Kleba. Like, I mean, he has a clear defined role as a... Tr I'm m m messing up my words here, but it's the 
Rudy Gobert play is the traditional big man of the modern NBA, whereas Maxi Kleba is the, you know, kind of the traditional big man of. I messed up entirely what I was trying to say, but what I'm but what I'm saying is I think the Mavericks could work for Rudy Gobert, and I think getting rid of Jalen Brunson in that trade could work. Even though you don't get a strong secondary score, your defense improves, and that could be another thing you improve on in the offseason of next year, even though you probably want to do that before. You could make another trade or get someone else in free agency or just say, Luca, average 40. Because he doesn't have to do much more in the offseason. He's already a superstar. Excuse me. The one thing I would say for Luca is um, work out a little bit more in the summer. <laughs> I mean, it worked for him this season, obviously. All the the pictures of him and partying and, you know, doing, <laughs> having a good time. Looked like he was having a lot of fun. But um, spending a little bit more time, getting in some cardio, <laughs> get, a, get a couple miles in, Luca, And then um, that's all you can really ask of him because he's, He's really, really freaking good. Um, so, I think that is all I want to cover for this one. Um, Alright guys, thank you again, once more, for tuning in to this, what is the fourth episode of Hoop Show. Remember, I will be doing a uh, Game 7 special, post-game Sunday, the After Hours Game 7 special. I don't know if that's going to be the official title, but that's something I'm planning on doing, so stay tuned for that, and I hope everyone listening has a great rest of your day. All right, thank you once again, signing off.